0: You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Good morning, Mission family. Today we are beginning a journey that I hope will be deeply meaningful uh, for all of us, deeply meaningful for us as a whole church. And over the next several weeks, we're going to take a deep dive into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. and and Disciple is such a churchy word. You almost never hear it outside the context of church, right? And a lot of people think disciple means student, but student doesn't quite give you the whole picture. A better word for the meaning of disciple would be follower. Uh, follower. Uh, The motivation behind the two words is very subtle but distinct. Those two words may seem the same, but there's a distinction between the two. Student means you want to learn from your teacher. Follower means you want to become like your teacher. There's a difference there. Student, I'm going to say that again. Student means you want to learn from your teacher. And follower means you want to become like your teacher. Learning and becoming are two very different things. And my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Gallum, uh, was awesome. She used to throw the best Halloween parties uh, in, during class every year, and I had her for a couple of years. She was my special ed teacher actually, and uh, I learned a ton from her. She's one of the pivotal teachers in my life. I just want to say if you're a teacher, thank you, thank you for the work that you do. And parents right now don't I know a lot of parents right now are are not taking for granted the teachers in their lives. Uh, um, because man, you teachers just you you do it all, you blow it away, you crush it. We love you. We're grateful for you. But but Mrs. Gallum was my special ed teacher and I learned a lot from her and She had many, many great qualities, but never did I want to become like her, right? Like she didn't an amazing job as a teacher, but I never wanted to model my life after her life, right? I wanted to take the things that she taught me and apply them to my context. Uh, I was a student of Mrs. Gallum's, not a follower, right? But a follower of Jesus, I am a follower of Jesus. I, I learn from him through the Bible, but I also model my actions, choices, and decisions after what I believe he would want me to do. As a disciple, Jesus shapes my life in a very different way than Mrs. Gallum did. Both are good, but, but different. And, and that's the difference between being a student Or a follower. Simply put, followers of Jesus not only want to learn from Jesus, but they want to become like Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus is the best way to describe what we mean when we say, I am a disciple of Jesus, I follow Jesus in the way of Jesus. And there's only one reason why someone would want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, right? And it's because of love. They began to recognize the great love with which God has loved us and it changed them, right? Uh, that's the only reason why somebody would want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And I know for myself and many Others like me, uh, when I met Christ and asked him into my heart, I, I felt a love like I had never felt before. And this love permeated everything in me and changed me from the inside out. And I wanted everyone to know that love, the complete love of God. And, and in light of 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. I, 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 because of that, I began striving to love others with the same love that Christ had loved me with first. Now, I loved because he loved me first, not because I was supposed to, but because it was true, right? Not because I was supposed to, but because it was true, and that's the way I lived my life for a while, but then, oftentimes things begin to change. Right, the newness wears off, and we don't quite have the same passion and drive that we once did. We don't quite feel the same about this love we have experienced, and as we 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 don't feel the same way that we felt about it at first. Right, uh, maybe our uh, attentions turn more to. Knowledge of the Bible, and, and we become we, and we want to become the smartest person in the room when it comes to the Bible and being the smartest person in the room and knowing all the knowledge of the Bible is our driving force, or maybe we shift our focus from uh, to doing good deeds and making sure to snap a selfie for, uh, of everyone for the world to see, right. Knowing the Bible and doing good deeds, like taking care of the disenfranchised, are absolutely good things. I want you to hear that. We have to know the Bible, we have to do good deeds. But when the motive shifts from anything other than we love because he first loved us, uh oh, we're in trouble. The motive of our love matters to Jesus, and it should matter to us too, right? The motive of our love matters to Jesus, and it should matter to us too. The book of Revelation is where we're headed today, and I bet you didn't see that coming. (laughs) The book of Revelation is the very last book in the Bible. It was written by John while he was on the island of Patmos, and uh, the Bible says that John was in the spirit one day when he heard a loud voice like a trumpet. And and the voice said, write down everything you see on a scroll and send it to the seven churches of Asia, Asia Minor. Uh, which were the seven major churches of Christianity. John turns around to see who is speaking to him, and we pick it up in Revelation 1, Uh, verses 12 through 18. So John's turning around to look, to see who's speaking to him, to tell him to write down all these messages. And, And he said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like the son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. John just experienced the resurrected Christ. In his heavenly form. And every time I read that passage, the description of Jesus gives me goosebumps. I, I just get so pumped. And the resurrected Jesus goes on to give John messages for each of the seven churches which those seven churches are further symbolized by the seven golden lampstands. And for today's purposes, don't get too hung up on the stars and the lampstand symbolism in this passage. Instead, focus on what Jesus has to say to the church and how it applies to us. In Revelation 2, Jesus begins to give a message to the church in Ephesus the same one that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to, right? It's um, addressed to them, but I believe that it could just as well have our church's name on it. I wanna check it out today, and I want you to really hear what Jesus has to say to the church in Ephesus, because I believe this is for us. This is where we are going. This is where the Lord is leading So pay attention, hone in Revelation two, one through seven. I'm reading from the NIV. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now listen, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor, You hate the practices of the Nicolaites, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, so in this vision, John is having, he's on this island. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, comes in all his glory and he commands the church, uh, uh, the church, the, he commands messages to be sent to these seven major churches in Christianity. And, uh, you know, in the message to Ephesus that we just read, Jesus commends the church of Ephesus on many things, they mostly boil down to good deeds, hard work, perseverance, and intolerance of false teaching. Those are all great things and Jesus commends them on it. Uh, most of Jesus's message seems like Ephesus has like got it going on. Like they're the real deal, right? Like Ephesus is, is, is it uh, until Jesus says six words that cut like a knife. Yet I hold this against you. That should give the people of Ephesus Cause for pause, right? Just that's a cause for a pause, right? Yet I hold this against you. You're doing this great. Good deeds, yep, check. You're doing that, wonderful. You're persevering. You're not letting in false teaching. You're working hard. But there's something more important than all of that. You have forsaken the love you had at first. That is the most important thing to Jesus. What does Jesus mean by this? Did they, did they like lose their, their first love? Um, did they forget about it? Did they um, just let it dull? No, they abandoned it. They deserted it. That's what forsaken means, abandoned and deserted. Seems like one of the only downfalls in the church of Ephesus was that they loved to be right. They loved to be right. They put all their emphasis on sound teaching and lost their love, lost their love and without love, sound teaching is nothing. They loved to be on the moral high ground more than they actually loved people and God. See, this is where I think we can take something away from this today and and actually I encountered this message uh, maybe a few, like a month ago, and I've been sitting in this because it convicted me, it convicted my heart. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I've been praying over this, and, and so I wanna challenge you. We need to look at the evidence of our lives to see what may reside in that first love position. So many things in our lives can take the place of our first love for God and other people. Good things can take that place. Just like the church in Ephesus wanted to make sure that they had sound teaching. That is a good thing but not if it becomes more important to you than love. Loving your job is an awesome thing. Not everyone knows what that's like, but when you love your job so much that you're willing to compromise morally to keep it, that love is out of place. Loving your country and wanting it to be better isn't wrong. That's not wrong at all. That's a good thing, right? But when your love for your country causes you to lose your love for your neighbor, it's out of place. Loving your kids isn't wrong. Far from it. We're called to love our children and raise them up in the way they should go. But when your love for your kids goes so far that you are taking them to sports, when you know you should be in church, your love is out of place. See, the first love affects everything that comes after it. If money is your first love, then It will have an effect on every decision you do and every relationship you have. Money will be at the center of it. And that's why Jesus is correcting the Ephesians. Because if you're a disciple, a true follower of Jesus, you need to have love for God and love for others at your first love position so that it affects everything that comes after it. In fact, Jesus is saying that this is the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, 35 through 40, NIV. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what do we do? Maybe as I've been talking, you've identified something in your life that has taken the first love position in your life. And your love for God and your love for other people is out of place. What do we do? What does Jesus command the church of Ephesus to do? Because if anybody knows what to do, it's Jesus, right? So the three there are there are three things that Jesus tells the church of Ephesus to do. He tells them to remember, to repent, and to react. Remember, repent, and react. In verse five, he says, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Number one, remember, think about where you were at your most passionate for God. Think about where you were in your most passionate for Jesus. And think about where you are Now, where you were in your deepest love for Christ, is it possible that the love you had at first slipped away gradually without you even realizing what was happening and maybe something else slid in its place? Remember, take stock, remember. Step two, repent, and this one's simple. Pray for forgiveness with a deep and true repentance. Oh God, I have forsaken my first love. Please forgive me. Restore my first love. Thank you that your mercies are new every single day. Restore my first love. And then, number three, react, make changes. You want to react to this knowledge that you now have. You've remembered, you've repent. Now it's time, as Michael Jackson said, time to make that change, right? It's time to make that change. It's time to react to this knowledge that, that you have now. It's time to make changes and do the things you did at first. In the weeks ahead, we will continue this journey of what it means to keep our first love, our, our, our first love uh, in relationships, in finance, in work, school, church, and much more. We are going to remember our first love and figure out how to keep our first love first. Commit weekly to joining us on this deep dive into discipleship because it's gonna be fun. Now, if you are already in a relationship with Jesus, I want you to take these three steps this week if you have sensed something taking the place of your first love if you've sensed that, I wanna challenge you to spend some time in each one of these steps. I would challenge you in the remember step, write out a few sentences at minimum about where you were and what your life was like before you had a real deep and true relationship with Jesus. Write down a few sentences of what it was like after. And then write down a few sentences of what it's like now. Remember, remember. Step two, spend some time in prayer this week asking God for forgiveness and to restore that first love. And then brainstorm changes that you and maybe your family can make to keep first love first. But you may also be thinking like, yeah, that's all well and good. And, and I like what I hear, but I've never been in a relationship with Jesus. I've never had the first love if you, if that's you, and you're ready to begin that first love journey with Jesus, whether you're watching this live now on Sunday morning or you're in the lunch room at work on a Wednesday, like this is your moment. I want you to close your eyes and pray with me. If this is you, if you are beginning a first love journey with Jesus right now, you're saying, Jesus, I give you my life. That's it, that's all, that's it. That's all you have to say. Just pray with me right now. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. That's all you have to pray. Jesus, I give you my life. You are my first love. If you've prayed that prayer with us, we would love to know. You can email us at office at the or leave a comment below on YouTube or Facebook. We would love to begin this journey of first love in Jesus with you. Today is the beginning of something that I believe is going to mark the future of our church. And I hope you'll join us as we continue this. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. Lord, we There we say, Lord, that there is none above you. Lord, we repent of not keeping first love first. Lord, we repent of not loving in the way we did it first. Lord, renew that in us. Renew a right spirit within us, God. Renew our minds, give us fresh eyes. Revelation described you, Jesus, as having eyes like fire. You see everything. You see the truth. You see through the facade, Lord. And I pray that you give us your eyes to see that we would no longer justify these things that we've put in your place, Lord, let us hold each other accountable with your truth. You're described in Revelation. Jesus is having a double-edged sword as a mouth. Lord, help us to show each other our flaws in love. Help us to hold each other accountable in love, not because we we have to, but because we want to. Not because we're supposed to, but because it's what we're called to do as followers of you. Help us to mold our lives every day to be more like you, Jesus. We love you, and it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.